This podcast explores topics such as post-traumatic stress disorder. If you feel impacted by the discussion, Victoria Police employees can access support by contacting Wellbeing Services on 1300 090 995. Help is available to everyone via Lifeline on 13 11 14 or through Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. No, it was uh, something I'll never forget, ever. I sort of glanced at Mum and she got tears rolling down her, uh, down her cheeks. Dad's the same. He's, um, he's got tears rolling down his cheeks. Uh, when I think back about it, I mean, they could see the injuries direct, all the fuss from the doctors, the priests giving me the last rites. Um, I think they thought, you know, this is, this is going to be it. In 1976, a young constable called Mick Pratt was off duty and driving past a bank, which was being robbed by three masked men. He mounted the curb to stop them and he was shot. He almost died. This is his story. I'm Justin Smith, a journalist working with Victoria Police, and you're listening to Distinction, recognising the bravery from inside the job and the price that came with it. To help tell Mick's story, this is police veteran, retired superintendent Peter O'Neill, a former member of the Victoria Police Honours and Awards Committee. I'm sitting here with Peter O'Neill, who is uh, a big deal at Victoria Police and part of the Memorial Committee for a long time, and he's just given me a coffee, and it's a really good one, Pete. Uh, Thank you. Pleasure. (laughs) What was Mick Pratt like? Uh, uh, Mick Pratt. um, Mick and I first started... uh, uh, knocking about together back in the uh, early 70s when we started off as cadets in 1973 back at the police academy, uh, oh, the old police depot at St Kilda Road. And uh, unfortunately, not long after Mick graduated, he was involved in a, a very brave um, incident uh, outside a bank in Clifton Hill and uh, shots were fired and uh, Mick was hit in the chest and they've uh, shot Mick and he was significantly, he had sustained significant wounds and uh, he was taken to hospital and he was on his on his, on his his deathbed and uh, I know the last rites were given and significant injuries and it took Mick many, many months to get over him to the point where Mick never was able to return to full operational duties and um, he took on the role of a of an unsworn and uh, he's seen work up at Seymour and Wallen so he's always had his connection to Victoria Police, he's never lost that and uh, uh, Victoria Police should feel very proud of the work Mick did. Hey, uh, what's, it, what's it like being a hero? Very good question. Um, uh, it, it, is it a hard tag to live with? It is a hard tag to live with. It is. Um, you know, to be referred to being a hero, I don't quite sort of run You don't with that. feel connected with that word, I, I, do you? I don't, I, don't, yeah. I don't feel connected with that word at all because uh, when all that happened, uh, all those years ago, I was only doing my job as I saw it. And... Uh, that, that's what it was, just just doing my job, and out of that came the George Cross. Uh, you know, difficult to live with. You know, a lot of people don't know what a George Cross is. If you say to many people, you know, Victoria Cross, the lights go off, and they say, "Oh yes, that's you know the highest award that can be awarded to uh, you know, a military person 
uh, in, you know, in, the, in the war or face in the enemy or whatever. And uh, you then have to explain to them that the George Cross is the civilian sister medal to the Victoria Cross. Because I've had a few, because on my uh, emails and that, has got Michael K. Pratt, GC. Right, yeah. And I get a few phone calls and a few emails. I say, what's the GC for? I say, oh, and I said, the Queen gave me those post numerals and I use them. The gentle tone of Mick Pratt's voice doesn't reveal the drama of the moment and the man's incredible bravery. So have a listen to this. This is in Michael Kenneth Pratt's file. On the morning of the 4th of June, 1976, three masked men entered the ANZ bank in Clifton Hill to carry out an armed robbery. One of the men ordered the staff to lie on the floor. Another jumped over the counter and removed the money from the tills, while the third remained in the public area and fired a shot in the direction of the bank manager and a customer while they ran towards the rear of the bank. Constable Michael Kenneth Pratt, who was off duty and unarmed, was driving past the bank in his private car and saw the men entering the bank. He noticed that each man was masked and carrying a firearm and realised that they were about to commit an armed robbery. He immediately turned his car, switched up the lights, drove straight at the bank, mounted the kerb and blocked the bank entrance. He then instructed a passerby to call for police assistance. The raiders were taken by surprise but one then threatened Constable Pratt with his gun and signalled him to remove the car, whereupon Pratt refused, removed the ignition key and armed himself with the handle of a carjack. The men then attempted to leave the bank and climbed over the bonnet of the car. As the first man straddled the front of the car, Constable Pratt grabbed him firmly and during the ensuing violent struggle, the robber was knocked unconscious. By the time the second gunman had left the bank and climbed over the car, he aimed his weapon and threatened to shoot the officer at close range. The first man had now recovered consciousness and was getting to his feet, so Pratt grabbed him again and the man called to one of the robbers to shoot Pratt. A shot was then fired and Constable Pratt, who was in the process of trying to protect his back and at the same time maintain his hold on his captive, was shot and seriously wounded. Mick Pratt was taken to St Vincent's Hospital. The wound in his chest started to drown him in his own blood. The medical team put two tubes in him and pulled out a pint and a half of blood. For this, he was awarded the George Cross. What was it like being a, a copper in 1976? Very different, because at that stage, uh, bank robberies were quite common. Uh, you had the sledgehammer gang who, when they put the steel shutters in banks, they, they, the banks thought, well, we've got them beat, but uh, they came along with, uh, you know, five kilo sledgehammers and straight through the doors where the staff went in, which was sort of in the bank foyer. There was a door to go in, of course. And of course, they went straight through off the hinges and they were in the, the shutters were pretty useless. It was a really brutal kind of time, wasn't it? I mean, that was just that... Uh lots of cash on the other side of a wall oh, yeah. and and you know just get through it any way you can a very violent and brutal brutal time wasn't it well in, in those days it was you know the, there was a lot of robberies from say 74 i think to about 78 there was a lot of bank robberies as a as an older man now uh with with uh, with 
some more wisdom, uh, maybe some more patience. I'm giving you some, you know, good, putting some good things on you here, some more I wisdom. Know, and I know some, what you're going to say here. <laughs> some more pa- Do you look at it and just think, what the hell was I thinking? You know, or would I have done it differently? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, when you're... Um, when you're at the stations of that learning your trade, you, 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 catching crooks is, is what it's all about. So um, when uh, I sort of got into it a bit, I thought, well, gee, I'd like to go to the squads. And I found the arm robbery sort of has that, you know, special thing about it. But to see three armed robbers going into the bank at the time, straight away sort of kicked in training was, I can do something about this, you know, so... You told me that you are a, a lifelong Wheat Bix man. Yes. Was it Wheat Bix for breakfast that morning? Actually, it was. If you, knew, if you knew Queen's Parade and High Street and Heidelberg Road, intersection, very busy. Because I looked to the right and in my vision, as I looked back, I saw the three of them entering the bank, uh, balaclavas and, uh, and what have you, and scarves around their faces and handguns. And straight away, I knew what was happening. They're going to rob the bank. So in that split second of looking to give way to the traffic and looking back, saw them go in the bank and uh, thought, okay, bank robbery. I very quickly uh, put the hazard lights on my car flashing, did a hard right-hand turn across the traffic, and uh, it was like the, uh, the opening of the Red Sea. Everyone stopped, even, even a 40-tonne tram. He pulled up, crossed the road, Mounted the footpath, uh, and those days too, the big blue stone, because when I hit it, didn't do that car any good, and uh, straight into the front door of the bank, and, uh, and it had a blue stone step, and that stopped me from going right in, because it was a, quite a large up, upward step, but it was all blue stone. All, uh, all happened, you know, only seconds. It seems like, you know, when you sort of tell the story, it seems like it's taking forever to happen, but... It was all from the time I saw them, the time I crashed into the bank wouldn't have been more than about eight, eight seconds, ten seconds. At that point, I, that's when I sort of thought about, well, they're in there, I'm out here. And I sort of thought, well, banks are fitted with alarm, so I don't have to go run, look for someone to, to tell or uh, that type of thing. Um, they're in there. There should be alarms going off in, in the bank, so I'll just stay out here and see what happens. But uh, as, as it turned out, there was a, a chap walking along the, uh, the street towards me. He'd just come out of the paint shop, which is next door to the bank, or was then. And uh, I said to him, I said, look, there's, there's a robbery on, in the bank. I said, can you ring the police? And he straight away, back in the paint store and, uh, and, and rang straight away. So either way, alarms in the bank or his phone call, we, we would have it covered. Um, I didn't make any decisions. I'm going to go in the bank. I just stood beside my car and and waited to see what would happen, you know. And of course, what happened was is the, uh, they were in the bank and eventually they came out and, uh, well, it was three. Uh, one went out the back door and uh, two came out across the, across the car. Grabbed the first one and it was, uh, was on then, yeah. You knocked, knocked him out. Knocked him down in front of me, had all of him, and uh, I sort of looked around to see where the other one was when they came out across the bottom of my car. And uh, he was standing there with arms out, in front of him with a, a 38 in his hands, he said, don't move or I'll shoot. And uh, the first one was just starting to you know, gain a bit of consciousness and get up in front of me. And I thought, well, at this point, uh, he's there, he's made that threat. 
He was getting up and I didn't want him to get away, so I grabbed him to bear hug and uh, quite tight grip. And uh, then the guy on the other side just fired one shot, struck me in the back and, and down I went. When the shot rang out, I didn't know that I'd actually been shot because it's like that uh, when your kids are playing at school, I got that, uh, that punch in the back. That's what it felt like until I hit the pavement. And then uh, it's like someone standing on me bank, back, jumping up and down because I couldn't breathe. And uh, it hit, your, hit your lung, didn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah got both lungs. Yeah. And it punched, uh, came in, in through, the, uh, through the left lung. Uh, entry wound, wound about size of a uh, 20 cent piece, exit wound about uh, size of a small orange and struck the sternum. The bullet did an elliptical loop in my chest cavity and didn't strike anything else, uh, major organs. Yeah. Continued on and got the right lung entry but slowed it down enough and it dropped down in the bottom of the right uh, lung. I was very fortunate that the bullet uh, was actually a, a flat nose practice round. If it had been a jacketed round, uh, most definitely would have killed me because I have a, a burn scar on the aorta where the bullet passed so close it left a burn scar on the, uh, on the aorta. So if it had been a jacketed round and mushroomed out, it would have torn my aorta straight out and it would have been all over. Someone was watching out for you that day. Yeah, somebody up there likes me, I think. Because it was, it was pretty close, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, when we got to, uh, eventually got to St V's after a, what I thought was an extremely bumpy ride in the ambulance, because every bump, it, it, it hurt. It really hurt. And uh, when you get, uh, get there and they pull the crew out of the, uh, uh, out of the uh, operating theatres and uh, a young uh, uh, registrar, I presume, he, uh, he has a listen to my chest and uh, Next thing I know, he's, he's up on the trolley, kneeling over me, and because uh, by this time they've got you know all my gear off basically, and he's up there with a scalpel, and he cuts me on the uh, on the left side, and blood shoots out to the to the to the left, and oh, sort of with it, not with it, then does the same on the right side, and then cut me down, and they put two tubes down into my lungs, and they pumped a pint and a half of blood out of, out of the left lung. So when he was listening to my chest, he could hear me drowning in my own blood. Uh, the concern was that I wasn't going to get through because the next thing I know, there's a priest there with a little nun and uh, he's uh, giving me the last rites. He was giving you the last rites? He was giving me the last rites and I was very awake. And uh, I thought to myself, I think I'm in a bit of shit here. Uh, this is not good. This is definitely not good. Uh, I was quite with it when he was, uh, you know, having me give me the last rites. Like, Michael, not too many people get to tell the tale that a priest was next to them giving them the last rites yeah, and uh, get to discuss it later. No, that's right. So dad was one side, mum was the other, and the priest was at the foot of the bed with the nun. And she was only tiny. She was about four foot eight. She was only a tiny little nun. And uh, I found out later that she was at St Vincent's for many, many, many years. And a lot of patients and people knew her because of her size. She stood out because she was so small. She came up beside me and said, you know, everything will be all right. Here. Yeah.
No, it was uh, something I'll never forget, ever. She knew something that you didn't. Probably, uh, as I said earlier on, you know, I think somebody up there likes me. So, you know, that's uh, that's how it went. What did you did your mum? Your mum must have talked to you about that. Mm. That moment. Well, you know, I sort of glanced at mum, and she got tears rolling down her uh, down her cheeks. Dad's the same. He's um, he's got tears rolling down his cheeks. Uh, when I think back about it, I mean, they could see the injuries direct, all the fuss from the doctors, the priests giving me the last rites. Um, I think they thought, you know, this is this is going to be it. Uh, I think doctors were saying things to them that I don't know what was being said to them because I remember mum and dad away from the bed and doctors, you know, explaining things to them. And, you know, it was difficult, very difficult. Difficult now. So... Just for context, the George Cross is a big deal. Peter O'Neill again. The George Cross is the highest medal of valour, bravery that the, the Queen can bestow. And uh, I know that there's only a small number that have been uh, been handed out ac uh, across the, the British Empire. And uh, Mick's certainly a recipient. And he's the only Victorian police recipient, and I think he's the only Australian uh, police recipient that's, that's got the award. And uh, Mick should feel very proud and be very honoured to wear it. Do you, remember, do you remember being told that he was getting the, the I George remember Cross? Well, yes. Please well, no one, knew what, no one knew what it was. Because <laughs> <laughs> our, our highest award, the Chief Commissioner, bestow is the Valor, Valor Award, which is a significant award in its own right. And, uh, uh, yeah, Mick uh, was, he was fortunate and rightfully so received uh, the highest award from the Queen. And uh, I know Mick was grateful and I know he uh, understands the importance. And uh, Victoria Police... Uh, we should celebrate that, that his actions that day were courageous, some might say foolish. Nevertheless, he put his, his life on the line for, for the community and uh, uh, and rightfully so, we recognise it. Did your mum give you a, a dressing down afterwards about, about what you did? No. Did anyone give you a dressing? Did anyone that loved you tell you that? Uh... A few, a few senior, uh, older senior Connie give me a bit of a dressing down when I sort of, you know, this was back later. Why did you do that? You know, it wasn't a bit silly to do that, you know. You, but you've never, you've never felt that way? No. No. No, it's, uh, it's hard to explain. Um, I go away to London every two years to the Victoria Cross George Cross Association reunion. Now, when you speak to other medal holders, you sort of get a different picture because they... They are the same. They were just doing their job at the time and they feel the same way. There's a very uh, special bond between metal holders. Very special bond. What, what was it like uh, being in that company, you know, with the Queen and, and, and getting an award like that? Rather humbling, really. You know, she, um, she's, she's lovely, the Queen. You, you have to meet her on numerous occasions to, to see how wonderful she actually is. Uh, there was one occasion uh, after the fire at Windsor, we were, uh, we were there and they'd done the restoration and we were invited out to Windsor by the Queen to come and look at what they had done with the restoration. The Queen sort of comes to the front and says, well, men, 
She says, we're going to look at the, the restoration. You can come with me. And uh, she refers to us as her men. How's that feel in you? It's very, uh, like I say, very humbling. Very. You don't expect that. What's a, what has it been like being a GC through your career? You've had this with you. You know, you've car carried this around with you for, for a very long time. I suffer from uh, acute, uh, uh, acute anxiety at time to time. You know, it's pretty good. If the door opens up, it can get mm, a bit messy. Uh, after the event, uh, I had quite a few nightmares. Uh, I think after I got out of intensive care, it was the first night in the ward and I, I had a, an episode there and the staff had to physically shake me to wake me up because I was, uh, you know, screaming in my sleep, uh, different things. So, you know, but over the years it's got less and less, you know, but sometimes you'll get a, uh, a very serious event, robbery, or, you know, sometimes it'll spark it off and, uh, you know. And what, what, you know, what do you think, what is that feeling like and what do you think about when you, you know, when you said you, you got woken up from your sleep, I mean, what were those dreams like? What were you? What very, were you... extremely vivid. I mean, that, that one in the hospital, that first one that I had, it was just like it happened all again, you know. Uh, out across the bottom of the car, I grabbed him, the shot, you know, coming to hospital. Uh, all very vivid, you know, and I basically replayed it from, you know, when I saw them to when they woke me up, which was sort of uh, on the way to the hospital in, in, in the ambulance. So, and it was, uh, you know, in cinemascope and plenty of sound, don't worry. Was there, was there a time when you thought, gee, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to live with this? The yeah, you know, and yeah, there was a concern about having to live with them. Well, the, the, they were good at St V's, you know, the, uh, the, the clinical psychologists were there the next day talking to me and, you know, you know, what do you sort of, this, this will happen possibly again, things will trigger, explaining to me that, um, you know, this event will have a marked effect on your life. So, you know, which it has, which it has. But in saying that, Slowly but surely, over the years, those uh, nightmares have tapered off. What's the best thing about life now? The best thing about life? Uh, well, I've got four, four children. Uh, my eldest, the boy, and three girls, and I've got 11 grandchildren. And they keep me very busy, and they're, they're very precious. Very precious. What's the best thing about life as a George Cross recipient? Uh, I get to talk at different things. Um, like I say, I, I've been asked to attend different schools, and uh, I had the, the year 11s and 12s. That, that was a that was an interesting one. I went to speak to them, and they were quite rowdy and uh, what have you. And I thought. I'm not doing very well here with them. They were sort of chit-chatting amongst themselves and they got their mobile phones and they weren't really interested in me. So I sort of stopped midstream and I said, well, you know, you really don't know enough about me or the medal, so I should tell you about the shooting. Well, it went deathly quiet. All of a sudden, I thought, shooting? What shooting? So then I said, I'll, uh, I'll just tell you what happened. So I told them the story. Wow, you know, you could have heard a pin drop. So what, what do you do with, what's your involvement with Victoria Police now? What do you... 
Well, I, I, as I say, I, I do all the uh, administration uh, at Wallen, which is all the briefs and Coro, and uh, as I say, I'm a peer and been one for many years. Um, you know, bosses ask me a couple of times to do odd jobs in relation to, you know, someone's not travelling so well, can you go and talk to them? And uh, I've done that, and you know, our peer command do the same thing. You get a phone call and, you know, can you just have the words with, there's been a bad prang out on the freeway, you know, as peers do. Can you just keep your eye on all the troops that went there and just make sure they're travelling all right? And We're getting better at people saying, look, I'm struggling. Oh, yes. I've got to put that, my hand that, up that, here. That part, and, the yeah. putting of a hand up has become, uh, I think in my younger days, if you put your hand up and said, I can't cope, you were, you were sort of looked at as say, oh, can I? Bloody suck it in, you know. It's, uh, or come on, we'll go and have a couple of beers, yeah, and, and, we'll, and then we'll be be right, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll sort itself out, you know. What's your What's your key bit of advice to people that are in that position? To tell someone, tell the boss, tell your workmates, you know. Just put your hand up and say, "I'm not coping very well here. You know, I need help." No one's going to look at you any less for putting your hand up, are they? So, uh, you know, not these days. Maybe maybe in the old days. What did you? What do you think you you learnt from it? Was there was there a lesson in there, or is it a lesson, or is it something you just survive? The I, I would think the one lesson that I got out of it is, uh, and which is a big thing in the police force now, is risk assessment. Didn't think about the consequences of what could happen. Saw them, did something about it. Never dreamt that I would get shot or, or even hurt. I don't think that entered my mind at any stage. You know. So you've got to have that risk assessment uh, in your mind all the time now if you're a young copper. So that's your lesson? That's you my think lesson. that was your lesson? I think is. that was my lesson that, uh, you know, I didn't think the things could escalate to a point where they did. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, it's been, it's been a real honour. Thanks, I, Justin. I really thank you uh, for, for, for chatting to us. No worries. Thank you. Mick's story is one of incredible bravery. This is Chief Commissioner Shane Patton. Chief Commissioner, could you imagine being Mick Pratt in 1976 and confronting this situation? Oh, to be confronted with a decision like that, uh, it would be uh, frightening, it'd be chilling, and then the decision he made uh, to confront them, absolutely courageous. It didn't seem to be a great deal of hesitation from uh, from Mick on this either. No, and, and people, if anyone reflects on it, they may say, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's what he's expected to do. No one's expected to do that. Yeah, one thing I hope people walk away from this is just how high up the George Cross is. And this is, this is whopping as far as, as uh, medals for courage and honours for courage go. It's enormous. And I think courage is the word. I, I don't know what other words you can use. Brave seems even less. It's yeah. just absolutely courageous when you place the safety of others above your own safety and risk your own life for for mick now though i mean that you know this is this is a tough i mean you know and he as, as we heard him say and you know, he's read the last rites you know this is a brutal aftermath uh, to this act, act of courage what would be there for him now if he if he went through this well he's paid a big price there's no doubt about that and uh, service does come at a cost we know that Nowadays, we would have a range of um, support networks in place. We'd have our employee assistance programs through uh, Victoria Police, through the Police Association. We have our wellbeing services unit, our psychology unit. 
We also have the mental health division of the Austin Health Unit where we've worked with them to develop a psychological trauma recovery service for police members. So nowadays we've got so many different um, support mechanisms and we use them all or we use those that are appropriate. But it, that's, that's a lifetime ago in terms of what, what was then and what was now. Uh, and so I'm not being critical of where we were. I'm just saying that we've had to mature as we recognise uh, not just physical injuries, but mental injuries, PTSD, and that it is an injury and we can help people get better from it. I think what is important about this, listening to you now, is that those changes, this new way of doing things, this new policing, that doesn't prevent the courage. That doesn't stop the bravery. That doesn't, you know, prevent an officer from, from still, you know, doing something extraordinary either. No, I think, uh, I think the bravery, the courage as well, is, is nowadays that we've largely, I believe, removed the stigma about talking about these things, about talking about PTSD, and it's equally courageous to do so. You've been listening to Distinction. For more stories of courage inside Victoria Police, please subscribe. If this story has brought something up for you, help is available. Victoria Police employees and their families can access support through wellbeing services on 1300 090 995 or via the Victoria Police Blue Space wellbeing website. Police veterans can also find support through Police Veterans Support Victoria. Help is available to everyone via Lifeline on 13 11 14 or through Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36.